0: Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC.
1: As you might know, Generation BSC is our bi-weekly revisiting of the Babysitter's Club series, book by book, episode by episode. This one is maybe a little unusual because not only are we talking about a book a little bit out of order, it's also our second episode about the book because we – as I'll just say what it is. It's Christy and the Secret of Susan. As you all may know, if you've been listening in order, we skipped that book for uh, various reasons, most of which being that Lauren and I are not experts in autism or neurodivergence. Aside from, Lauren has mentioned in the past, she does have some neurodivergent characteristics. But even with that being said, we felt like we needed to find some people who had a much closer experience, more you know, knowledge about the topic. So, our last episode, we had Lyric Holmans visit us, and this week we are having Breanne Leeson visit us, who is also has a lot of experience with this uh, topic. So I'm going to turn it back over to Lauren to give us a little bit of an overview about what the book was, in case you're listening to this out of order, and then we'll introduce Breanne and get our conversation started. So, Lauren. Take it away.
0: Awesome. So I'm I'm excited to get a chance to do this. Kate always handles the the summary so well. So this is going to be my chance to see if I can sum it up quick. Um, <laughs> not usually a forte of mine. <laughs> but we just want to remind everyone we are talking about Christine, the secret of Susan. We're really probably not going to talk about Valerie and the Hobarts and any of the, you know, various secondary plots. We're going to focus on, on the main topic, which is autism spectrum disorder and how this book did or, well, spoiler alert, as, as you know, if you've been listening, did not deal with it appropriately. So how it did approach it is that Christy gets a regular sitting gig for Susan Felder, who's down, lives down the street and has been going to a special school, which is why they don't know her because she is autistic and a savant when it comes to She can tell you the day of the week, any date. She's memorized a calendar along the way, and she's also a musical savant. She can play and sing the piano. Christy decides that she knows better than Susan's parents and is going to do what she can so that Susan doesn't have to go away to the special school and can be quote-unquote normal like everyone else. This goes about as well as you'd expect with Christy basically ignoring any kind of of Susan's autonomy turning into a little, a literal freak show where neighborhood kids are paying to see her do her quote tricks and basically learns nothing and realizes that maybe Susan is going to be happier in the school where she is headed, but Christy's going to grow up and become a special ed teacher. So s- other kids like Susan don't have to be shunted away to special schools, which, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get into all of the ickiness, but that is the basic overview.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, as Lauren said, there's there's still lots to unpack about this book, and I'm very excited to get started with our conversation. But before we do that, we want to um, give everyone an opportunity to learn a little bit more about Brienne. So, Brienne, why don't you give us sort of the overview to sort of kick off the conversation?
2: Yeah. So, hi, uh, I'm Brienne. I am an artist, a writer, freelance uh, sensitivity reader from Texas. I uh, over the pandemic, like a lot of people, uh I got an autism diagnosis. And it explained almost everything. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I also got an ADHD diagnosis during the pandemic, which explained the other half of everything. <laughs> um, so with that knowledge, I've been picking up some sensitivity reading for um autistic representation um i am the writer and creator and a voice actor on my own podcast uh where i have both an autistic and adhd character um and i uh before i even knew i was neurodivergent as a kid i babysat and if you lived in my area i was the babysitter If you had an autistic kid, because I don't know, I just got them, which should have been a clue, Um, should have been a clue. So, um, yeah, uh, learning about my own neurodivergence and autism and the representation in media has become really important to me because I think if I would have seen someone who looked like me, I would have gotten these answers a lot earlier. And spoiler alert, Susan does not.
1: <laughs> yeah. Definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds, uh, well, actually, I think that's a great place to start. So mm-hmm. we were so excited, obviously, to have conversations in general. But when you mentioned the sensitivity reading, I was like, well, gosh, how, how incredibly perfect. So can you tell us a little bit about how that, that works, what you do and, what that showed you about this book in particular because even from my limited perspective there's not a lot of sensitivity happening
2: <laughs> uh absolutely none so when i do sensitivity reading um before my diagnosis um i come from a comic book background so very often i was given comic book scripts to say hey uh i am a cishet guy and i'm writing this woman how did i do and i would break oh. i would break down like okay, let's evaluate your choices here. Let's evaluate this artistic choice here with what you gave me. I'm also uh, bisexual. So if they were like, hey, I'm a cishet guy, how did I write Mm -hmm. this bisexual character? So any part of my identity that I was knowledgeable enough about and I understood the nuances of, I I go through scripts and I say, you know, X, you know, you did X, Y, Z. This is why this might be problematic. Here are my suggested edits. So, yeah. in in getting my autism diagnosis, I I of course dove right in to understand the nuance and the cultural significance because understanding how things are portrayed in media is a really big interest of mine. I uh, I run up a, a comic book book club for women for a local store where we basically get a graphic novel and break down all kinds of representation in it together and analyze awesome. it from that standpoint. So it's probably an autistic special interest of mine is uh, <laughs> is media representation. So that's what I did in reading Christy and the Secret of Susan. I treated it as though Anne Martin said, hey, will you be my sensitivity reader? And then I, uh, I said, <laughs> oh, Anne...
1: <laughs> so what you're saying is your, your notes about the book were probably as long as the book <laughs> it was itself. They do they
2: do go from being really thorough to just yikes and toward y- the end. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was basically our reaction upon reading it the first time. Yikes is a, that's a perfect
2: sum up.
1: Yeah, and I hate this. <laughs> yeah, yes,
2: yeah. So I actually, when I got to the end of the book and I had the note from Anne, the note from the author, I kind of wish it would have been at the beginning of the book because that explained absolutely everything to me. Interesting. So, she talked about being a therapist for autistic kids. So, when someone says this, um, more often than not, they practice something called applied behavioral analysis. And this comes from the behaviorism in psychology, if you've taken intro psychology. Um, that's used to train animals. And ABA, the creator of it, said his goal was to teach autistic children uh, to be indistinguishable from normal children, oh, as geez. he said. It's got a really violent history. It All it does is punish kids for showing autistic traits, forces mm. us to suppress them, and pretend to be neurotypical which has huge documented psychological impacts on us. But ABA therapy is often the only one health insurance will pay for in the United States. And ABA therapists think that if they could just get these autistic kids to stop acting so autistic, they'll they'll recover from it. So understanding that she was an ABA therapist put a whole context on the book that I was like, okay, this is how she views autism. So I think that as a preface for the content of the book explained so much for me. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, that is fascinating. So I just in the research that we've been doing since reading this book, I had read a little bit about those older psychological practices and that they were harmful. But I didn't really have a lot of context for why. And I think that that's such a a simple clear explanation of the of the problem is that autism or any type of neurodivergency from that lens is treated as something wrong that needs to be fixed, rather than as something to be embraced and worked with instead of against. And that's um, one of the things that I, I I ran across a couple of times. And I know Kate and I have talked about this, because it sort of applies in in to everybody is this idea of masking
2: mm-hmm. and the
0: the idea of you know trying to pretend to be something that you are not and the energy that it takes to mask uh, is is so intense that I can I can only imagine how that must be absolutely exhausting if you're told that your entire existence is wrong and you have to act in a certain way in order to be accepted oh gosh i can't yeah. even
2: yeah, mm-hmm. for, for me, that's one of the reasons I wasn't diagnosed until 30 years old. There are certain tests about masking and dang, if I'm not the Meryl Streep of masking.
1: <laughs> and it's hard
2: because it messes with, for autistic people in particular, I recognize ways that I mask my ADHD, but it's far less insidious. There are the autistic masking. I can pinpoint specific instances where I did something where an allistic person, which is a good a good vocab word for everyone, allistic just means not autistic. So you don't have to be neurotypical. So someone with ADHD is not neurotypical, but they're allistic. Love that. Wow,
1: right? Yeah, that's really great to know. Yes. Because I think even the conversations we've been having, it, we didn't know that word. And so it's a little bit... You know, you're either neurodivergent or you're not, but autism is sort of its own thing. So, yeah, you, yeah. You could so, be neurodi- neurodivergent, but not autistic. So that, wow, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Yeah, no problem. I feel like that's a word that should be used more often because it's very useful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so masking in particular for autistic people, I can, I can pinpoint moments where I was othered by an holistic person for doing something they determined was wrong or weird. I logged it away in my head and said, "Here's how I'm going to change my behavior from now on, so this doesn't happen again. That That wasn't good what I did. And like now evaluating that, like there was a specific moment where in college, I got told like, "Oh, you're actually really nice. We thought you were mean. And I was like, "You've never spoken to me before in my life." And they said, "Ah, oh, just your face sometimes you're really intimidating. So I told myself, OK, when I see someone and I, I see a person's face on the street, I'm going to I'm going to smile just when I see anyone. Mm-hmm. So that was in college. So now at 30, knowing I'm autistic now, I walk into the bathroom to brush my teeth, catch my own face in the mirror and start smiling because I've, in essence, done this ABA on myself and now I'm like, why am I smiling? I'm in here to brush my teeth. It's midnight. Who is this for?
1: <laughs> right. Like,
2: what am I doing? So that is, and that's a hundred different things autistic people run into over their lives every day. So yeah, there's a lot of that that Susan was kind of being asked to
1: do. Yeah. Oh, well, one thing I thought was sort of, interesting. You know, you just said that you, you were diagnosed at 30 with autism. And I think in the book, they talk about, you know, when Mrs. Felder is explaining autism to Christy, and she says, you know, usually, it, you know, the, the symptoms or the signs of autism present themselves by three years old, and it's usually boys. And obviously, things are have changed significantly in diagnosis. But I don't know if you and if you're not willing to share any details or anything, but if you could provide any sort of insight into how your process was to sort of Figure out that maybe this was something, um, going on in your brain and, you know, how you got diagnosed. I don't know if that's something you would be willing oh, to talk yeah. about at all.
2: No, I'm absolutely, I, I'm absolutely down for sharing that because I think so many people, especially people who have this childhood, you know, live childhood as a girl, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. are, were missed, especially, uh, millennials. I think millennials and Gen Z, there's this sort of lost generation of women who get, you know, labeled as kind of quirky. But for me, um, I had already been diagnosed with ADHD and I was following some different accounts online to get more information, learn to work with my brain. And there was this chart that was like ADHD symptoms, autism traits. And I was like, okay, well, I have a lot of stuff from the autism side of this Venn diagram. Huh. Huh okay. Uh, (laughs) So I started researching more. And one of the things that, so for an autism diagnosis, it has to have been present currently and before the age of three. Okay, So for me doing more research because I, very autistic, want to download all the information I can about something if it interests me. So one of the traits that really had me thinking, I, I really want to go see a doctor about this was hyperlexia. And so autism is a spectrum. Yes. But it's not less autistic to more autistic. It's more of a, of a circle chart. And on the circle chart, you have traits like nonverbal is what gets used. The non speaking autistic community prefers the term non speaking. Because they, mm-hmm. they are verbal, they're just mm-hmm. communicating different ways. But the, the diagnostic stuff is uh, nonverbal to hyperverbal. I didn't know there was a hyper end of that on that on that mm-hmm. autistic trait. And I mm-hmm. am way up there. I started reading at two and a half. That's called hyperlexia. And I could read words that I had no understanding of. I could sound them out. I could do that. And 80% of kids that present with hyperlexia... Are autistic, so that was really the sort of the the impetus for me going. Okay, this is very likely. I need to, I need to find someone. And the more I researched, the more I recognized all these traits that have been happening since I was, since I was an infant, really, um, mm-hmm. just with my experience. But yeah, um, the hyperlexia made sense. Um, I have a linguistics degree. Like I'm hyperverbal. I speak three languages. I pick things up really easily. So yeah, the autism spectrum it has all of our traits, but our experience of the intensity or what end of those, that's where the spectrum is. That is fascinating.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that really stands out uh, as we've been talking to people about their journey with neurodivergency, even my own experience with ADHD, it is really stuck out to me how many times, Kate, that we have heard somebody saying, I did this research myself, Mm -hmm. and I sought out a doctor to get a diagnosis. And I, you know, we're largely talking to women. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a really, unfortunately, familiar feeling for women that we have to be such active advocates of our own healthcare, that the system is not set up to Identify and help us. We have to help ourselves mm-hmm. in so many ways. And mm-hmm. that is, I, I, that's really discouraging because I, I mean, I certainly was diagnosed much later than I, thankfully, I did have a go figure female doctor who helped me when I was in grad school. And I don't know how I would have gotten through that otherwise, but definitely related to how you said, you know, it, it made a whole bunch of things make <laughs> sense, even still. I'm I'm having that as I'm learning more, you know. As as we are all learning more about neurodivergency, and every day it feels like I'm learning something. And I will call Kate or call my mom and be like, "Oh, hey, you know this weird thing that I've always done? Turns out that's part of my diagnosis." So I, I think that that's really a fascinating and unfortunate thing that that comes up all over the place because, especially around autism and ASD and neurodivergency all of the diagnostic criteria that I've heard about is largely based on boys Mm -hmm. and as are the behaviors that people are looking for. And my understanding is that lots of neurodivergency, but particularly anything um, on the ASD spectrum often
2: shows up very, very differently for girls. Is that, is that pretty accurate? So the, the DSM criteria um, for autism is a picture of an autistic person in distress. Oh, boy. There's a lot of behavior on there that we don't really display as intensely unless we're distressed. So, go figure. I, at the, you know, the pandemic started and I said, hey, uh, what the hell's going on with me? Uh, what am I doing? What's this behavior I'm expressing? This is not my usual so that's why there are a lot of people who learn they were autistic in the pandemic because suddenly they start meeting the DSM criteria for Ooh. autism because they're in distress, understandably. But so for autism, the actual tests have very gendered questions. A lot of them are like, does your child spin the wheels on a truck instead of playing with the truck? And there are a lot of questions where they were written with what what society assumes a little boy would be interested in or do. And I would say that the traits don't necessarily display entirely differently. I just think they haven't been evaluated as this broad trait. I think like all the research has been done on little white boys. Mm-hmm. Right
0: that's historically true elsewhere or when they try to to research other people they do it in super unethical ways (laughs) (laughs) yes and i think that one of the things that that is like sort of occurring to me is what we are taught as girls about if if the diagnostic criteria is about being in distress we're taught from an incredibly young age that girls are not to display that type of emotion Mm -hmm. because then we're hysterical and it's you know that's Seen and not heard, and mm-hmm. all of that—that bullshit—and yep. uh, thankfully, that seems to be changing somewhat, which I think is it is leading to more recognition earlier. But I mean, it's just another form of masking, right? We're not allowed to show that we are in distress because that is not okay for girls and women. You know, even as adults, exactly. if a woman gets emotional. It's mm-hmm. it's about they're they're weak or hysterical or unfit or of some kind mm-hmm. when it's just emotion and that is not a bad thing for anybody.
2: Yeah. Now, you can do bad things with your emotions. Oh,
0: but absolutely. Having them is is not bad. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons uh women don't get diagnosed until much later is masking and that's also autistic people tend to have a very different experience with gender in general because gender being a social construct and these gender traits being mm-hmm. a social construct and being fed by social cues we're not naturally interpreting those and we're not going to pick them up so easily unless we've been othered for not responding to them so though i'm a cisgender woman i there's a term called auty gender and it's saying my gender is entirely influenced by being autistic And learning that explained so much for me because for a lot of autistic girls, autistic women, a lot of our masking also comes from I'm a girl, but I feel like I'm doing it wrong. Like I get told I'm doing this incorrectly. I'm not supposed to do this because there's this expectation that we be delicate, not just physically, but in In social settings, we have – society puts so much more of a a social burden on us to be good at these things and to not be blunt, not be direct, not be – to be polite. There's a politeness. And for autistic women, we're just not wired like that. I'm not wired to be delicate. I I often get told, like, that was your boss. Why did you say that? Or – (laughs) Like, how did you? Oh, my God, I can't believe you just said that. I'm like, why? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I'm just being honest. Yeah. So whenever we get punished for that, we end up masking and it's it's just cumulative. Like, of course, it doesn't get caught. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is that gender
0: binary gender role messaging. I mean, uh, that as a a non autistic autistic person um, still felt those. messages and that and that being told that there is one certain way to be a girl. Mm-hmm. And I I am definitely cisgender in that I've I've always felt very connected to my feminine side, but also recognized that it didn't necessarily look like other versions of what femininity look like, especially what some of the, uh, the, like the 17 version of, or YM, you know, those, yeah. those teen girl mags from back in the day, always felt, you know, just a little bit off. And as someone who is completely cisgender to even s- to s- still feel like I'm doing girl wrong. That's a problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and looking like, back at the, the women that I was, I admired their femininity, Growing up as a kid, that was not what my peers were admiring, and I was like, "Oh, that explains a lot." Y'all, y'all aren't real down with Amelia Earhart and Xena Warrior Princess, (laughs) and like all of these, yeah, all of these things. Where it's like, this is just a different kind of femininity. No one can tell me what that has to look like. So yeah, so that I think that also, and autistic women tend to who are late diagnosed tend to not have a lot of female friends because of that, because that Mm -hmm. social, that social connection with holistic women, where you're picking up the social cues, you have this delicate nature, you, all of that, we're not picking that up. So it's hard for us to, to understand and be part of those groups. So Mm -hmm. we, we go through a lot of bullying for that. And for us, we prefer much more, One on one social activity. And another thing, we're statistically more likely to be, uh, LGBTQ. 70% of autistic people identify as non-heterosexual. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Versus, versus 70% of holistic people who would say they're heterosexual. It's completely inverted the numbers. Autistic people are seven times more likely to be transgender. So along with being like being autistic and social constructs we understand they exist but they don't have a bearing to us it affects every facet of our being it just makes me think that everybody's a lot less or a lot more gay than they
0: think (laughs) you know that that like it it almost feels like a superpower in that way and i don't mean that in an insensitive like the way christy's trying to make (laughs) susan her, her pet but i just mean as a as a way to reject some of the societal bullshit that we drink in and be more true to yourself. I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Just made me think, I saw this. It, it was actually on a transgender rights blog. I, I'm bisexual as well. I consider myself just queer as, as a blanket same, label, for lack of same. a better word. I really dig this whole Gen Z labels are for idiots uh, yeah, mentality. Yeah. Just uh, the more we, more of that, the better. But. But one of the things that somebody pointed out and this was such a like aha resonant moment for me that I think really applies here as well is they were talking about how to refute when people say, well, you know there's a rise in in transgender or more people are transgender so clearly something is you know wrong with society or blah blah, blah you know any of those things and they showed a graph of left-handed people and it has grown the number of people who are left-handed has grown exponentially over the last years and they pointed out actually the number of left-handed people hasn't grown at all but society has accepted left-handedness is not a thing to be Mm -hmm. ashamed of anymore it's just a normal trait Mm -hmm. whereas all those people were they were absolutely left-handed but they were reporting that they weren't or told that they weren't or Mm -hmm. had to learn to not be because that was quote-unquote not the right way to do things and i can't help but think that you know seeing these rising in diagnostics, and people having palpitations around, oh, you know, there's so much more ADHD, there must be something. It's, it's about how much data there's is in the world and kids on the internet. And I, I mean, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, I am not a scientist. <laughs> I, I can't say for, with any certainty that that is is not a factor. And from my perspective, I, you know, growing up in the 90s, and to now, I, I haven't changed at all. It was just the world caught up to helping me put some parameters around the things that I was experiencing. So uh, it was kind of a long-winded way to just say, I hope things are getting better uh, for for younger generations. And I'm curious if you have seen or experienced that at all. I mean, even the concept of being a sensitivity reader is not something that would have ever happened in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that's progress. But uh, are there other like signs of of hope
2: yeah i like seeing uh again like for me same gen z online like about autism and adhd and like neurodivergence in general they're like hey um i reject that my autistic traits are bad I'm going to be more autistic just to show you. <laughs> and they're like, look at this outfit I put together around my noise-canceling headphones. And they're so active in saying, hey, this is an injustice that I see a lot of hope. I, I am new. I mean, I've been autistic my whole life, but I am new to the community and seeing just how young some of these people are putting in all of this work. It's incredible. One of my favorite accounts to follow for autistic stuff which i i will mention is um autistic cats they're on twitter and instagram for a while i i thought it was some autism researcher and then it's three like 19 and 20 year olds in college running this and looking at peer reviewed papers and like reading these reading this research for you and consolidating it and giving you links and providing information and making you aware of things.
1: And I was like, that's amazing. I was like, that's so awesome. To yeah,
2: hear. like at nineteen and twenty,
1: I was like, I, ooh, I was not doing. That. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I was just writing in like a live journal, and it was yeah, just like navel gazing, yeah. not helping anybody. It was just like my thoughts that nobody needed to hear. <laughs> so that's that's so like great to hear about. Gen Z. And yeah, everyone.
2: mine was Star Trek fan fiction and it wasn't helping anybody. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, I have a lot of hope.
1: I do really love how, you know, people have more information at their fingertips and they're able to sort of, like you were talking about, you're able to sort of. Almost self-diagnose or at least start to think about those diagnoses and then be able to find a doctor who's going to diagnose it as opposed to, you know, what we're talking about in the book and, you know, back in the eighties and nineties. And it was like, well, autism is only these like specific categories and characteristics. And so it's not that more people have autism. It's that we're finally realizing what autism actually means and what neurodivergence actually means. And so it's, it's not, I mean, it's not easier overall, because everybody still has to sort of handle their own situation, but it's it's definitely easier in that you're able to connect with other people that have similar experiences and similar diagnoses and to see that it's not, you know, not quote unquote, not normal. You know, exactly. I, there, there are people like you everywhere not, not not like you specifically, but you know, the, the royal you, like yeah. anyone can look anywhere on the internet and there's going to be people that you can find that like have the same similar experiences that you're having and you can find a community and it I think that's what's mm-hmm. so as as terrible as the internet can be, I do really love that, you know, those kids that, you know, I had a pretty typical growing up experience. I am neurotypical. I, I didn't have many concerns about not fitting in, but I didn't fit in and I had to find, like, the people that I could fit in with. And I think if the internet had been a thing when I was growing up as opposed to, you know, at the end of high school, it probably would have been a much different experience. And so I'm sure that having, you know, neurodivergence and autism and all of these other potential things that can make you feel different (laughs) and other, it's just great that there are resources for people and communities. I'm I'm, like getting emotional just thinking about, like, all the kids in, like, Mm -hmm. middle school and high school now that, like... Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love this idea that you can find your own little corner of the internet Mm -hmm. and your people. And like, I've over the years built out all these amazing little spaces that, you know, would not have existed 20, 30 years Mm -hmm. ago. And that's, that's incredible. Speaking of, of that, that actually brings me to some of the like broader media representation. We talked a little bit in our episode with Lyric about there are some shows now that are trying to do some more representation um, with varying degrees of success, it sounds like. So from from your expertise point of view, what would you recommend out that's existing right now, either mainstream or something we can seek out that is a better representation than what we are stuck with in Susan and Christie's experience.
2: So uh, I'm torn because my my recommendation that would be number one. They they pissed me off this season by kind of dropping some casually transphobic jokes.
1: Oh no! That
2: Ooh. yeah, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, so the show's everything's going to be okay, and the writer is autistic. Um, he's an actor on the show they hire autistic actors they kind of had they had me kind of had my guard up when they had someone say person with autism which is usually a kind of a flag like most of us prefer identity first saying autistic person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i was like it's their choice it's how you know they're choosing to label it not a big deal but There were some remarks conflating uh, gender with genitalia that were used as the butt of a joke that um, Mm. I was like, oh, and I paused it. I was like, I can't do it. I can't keep watching it. They've done it twice. My husband's like, why are you? Mm. Are you mad at the TV? And I was like, yeah, I'm real mad at the TV. I (laughs) want the autism representation, but I would not chill with the casual transphobia. So. Characters that are autistic and are called such are hard to come by. So if you, if, you, if you look past that in the show, the autism representation is pretty diverse. And I think there's one character there who if I would have seen someone like her as a teen, I would have been like, well, dang, I might be autistic, huh? Mm-hmm. Because the way she sees the world, I just assumed everyone else did. And I very much relate to her. From my experience looking back on characters I've enjoyed in my life, most are coded as autistic, but never actually called autistic. So there's a dearth of characters like that who I just accept like, yeah, someone wrote you based off someone they knew they didn't know was autistic. You're an autistic character in my book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of where I've come to accept things because I don't think I found a show where a character is called autistic – um, and they, they truly are a whole human being and not just a caricature of autism that doesn't have mm-hmm. some other more broader issues. And that's really disappointing that, you know, I mean,
0: especially when you're like so close and you're like, oh, you got to stick the landing, you know,
2: especially, <laughs> especially with how, how much more likely autistic people are to be trans. Exactly. That just seems like a huge oversight. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Right. But
2: yeah, uh, autistic coded characters. I saw an argument that Elle Woods from Legally Blonde is autistic, and I will look at it no other way now. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> so what were what are some of the traits that Elle has that,
0: that code her as autistic?
2: Um, she has uh, her special interest in fashion, and she memorizes a lot of details about it. So at the beginning when she's like, um, this half loop stitch on low viscosity rayon, I don't think so. And she just knows about all the fabrics and stuff. Mm -hmm. She's not picking up on the social cues that it would be strange for her to, to go to Harvard. She's not picking Mm -hmm. up on the social cues about what her entrance video should be like. She, she's missing all these social cues. She doesn't make friends with the other women easily. Um, when she goes off to Harvard Because she's not understanding their nuanced sort of like, I don't like you vibes. And she, someone put her scores in context. She could have gotten into Harvard on her own merit without it being a big deal at any point. Her, her scores were out of this world, like nearly perfect. Yeah. And when we focus on something and we want it really badly, we tend to be really persistent and noticing tiny details. Like, that's that's how she wins the case when she's like, um, if you would have gotten your hair permed at this time, you couldn't have been in the shower. Cause autistic people, we tend to yeah. look, we tend to look at small details really well. Mm-hmm. So that was, there's a whole video about it and they go into so much more. And I'm like, oh my God, she's autistic.
1: That is yeah, so, cool. I love that. It makes so much sense.
2: <laughs> I'm also a big fan of Headcanon. I
0: love it. I love it. Uh, me head me cannon. too. Um, me too. Yeah. I was, uh, Buffy back in the day. That
2: was my Xena
0: warrior princess. Me too.
2: Me too. And Willow is so autistic. Oh, I love it. Lay it on us. Willow is autistic, and I would argue Anya is autistic, but just shows it differently. One of the traits of autism is systemizing and pattern recognition. So that's why a lot of us are good at computer stuff. That's why I'm good at languages. So Willow's hacking. Willow being queer in general, picking up a special interest. So once she's like, oh, I've tried witchcraft, let me devote my entire life to it and do it all the time <laughs> until it might become an issue.
1: <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> Not making friends super easily, especially women. So when Buffy's nice to her, she's like, Can I help you? Like, yeah. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. uh, okay, sure. And also something I've noticed, which is not a trait, but we tend to have pretty weird fashion sense if we're someone who doesn't have too many sensory issues with fabrics. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it looks like Willow's just wearing a whole Muppet or something. (laughs) Like God God loves her. She takes some risks and sometimes they land and sometimes they don't.
1: The first three things she touched in her closet that day are what she's putting on her body. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much,
2: Yeah. But, yeah, so it's just funny that all these characters I loved and identified with are mm-hmm. really coded as autistic. Like, really, really. That is
0: hopeful for mm-hmm. me, too, knowing that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be spelled out, but there are people that that you can find those connections with. And hopefully, as we continue to have these conversations, that people can start to recognize themselves and others and feel good about that and mm-hmm. embrace that rather than make it feel like... It is othering, and that's – I mean, we're all other. Yeah, Everybody's got their own shit. mm -hmm. So uh, trying to conform to some ideal version of something, I don't care if you're completely straight, you have no neurodivergency of any kind, you're you're cisgender all the way, you could be the most quote-unquote normal person in the world, you're still going to have shit that makes you feel like an outsider, that makes you feel unaccepted. Because we have somehow landed in this place where is the there is this very narrowly defined definition of what it means to be a man, a woman, a person, an American, a foreigner. You know, like the every boxes everywhere mm-hmm. you look, and and I'm loving that we seem to be moving away from that, and and certainly evidenced by. I mean, the difference between the way they talk about Susan and and autism in this book versus the way the Netflix series, you know, embraced Marianne standing up for transgender rights and and standing up to doctors about like a lot of the things that we're talking Mm -hmm. about, about taking their patients seriously and with respect and listening to what they have to say. I I think that that is a really, just within the Babysitter's Club universe, that's a really good sign of hope. And I, I think one of the things that Kate and I try to emphasize that it sounds like we're bashing or criticizing and how you know how awful it was because it is and there's no no denying that. But I, I think that the reason we can still embrace the Babysitters Club and and specifically and have not you know thrown that out the way that some of the other things in, in from the 90s and 80s were going. Oh yeah, just, let's just leave yeah. that where <laughs> it, it, it was is because they do are demonstrating a desire to get it right and to move forward yeah. and to be more inclusive. And and I mean, as awful as this portrayal, it is the sheer fact that it existed in the nineties is something that is, well, how good it is, is debatable.
2: <laughs> I think this one crosses the line into sometimes no, sometimes having representation is more harmful than no representation, which is kind okay, of yeah. a line that some things have to cross. But yeah, being critical of media doesn't mean you hate it like i like we love buffy the vampire slayer and i've been rewatching that with a girlfriend mm-hmm. and i have to be like yeah okay so she is 16 and he's like 250 and it is real messed <laughs> yep, up yep. um that is not the most messed that yep. is not the most messed up thing on this show we'll be critical of it but also enjoy it <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. i think it is a way of loving something that had value to you to say this is not perfect but it was formative Here's how I'm going to process this, given what I know now. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. yeah, so it's a way of showing that you love The Babysitters Club, so you're not going to hold it up on a pedestal and say it's perfect. You're going to accept that
1: people mess up. Yeah, we definitely. <laughs> a, a lot of our conversations end up being more on the the critical side, and we have to sort of remind ourselves, like we do love this thing. We're you know we're talking about it out of love, we're criticizing it out of love because we know it could have been better. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so. exactly. And I think it's like a relationship with people, like, all the relationships in your life, no one's going to be perfect all of the time. No mm-hmm. one, no mm-hmm. one is a monolith of good. But you work with people and you talk with them and you analyze things together. And I think that's kind of the same relationship to have with media. Like, I accept mm-hmm. that there's really good stuff and you're yeah. good for me. And then sometimes it's like, maybe I leave this show alone. And I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: Absolutely. So I guess talking about like you said, maybe having no representation is better than having bad representation. Do you think that there's any way in 1990 that Anna Martin and Scholastic could have done an autism or neurodivergence storyline that would have not been (laughs) problematic? I mean, I I, just based on my sort of research and reading the book it seems unlikely based on what everyone was doing in 1990 when it came to you know autism spectrum and neurodivergence and neurodivergence wasn't even really a word that anybody knew so i don't know if you have any thoughts on what they could have done at the time or i guess even now if we were doing this story you know if we if you were writing this book now how would you you know change the story or would you you know do it in a completely different way would it not be someone like susan it would be a different type of autism presentation so
2: it so, okay, for context, in the 90s, when I was presenting, you know, these childhood autism symptoms, my mom's a retired physician, and she was practicing back then, and mm-hmm. she had autistic kids uh, that she would see. And there are, there were, present then, there were different therapies that weren't ABA that mm-hmm. That were present to help autistic kids be autistic in a world that's not made for them. Like Mm -hmm. occupational therapy helps a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So there were options back then that didn't say, hey, stop being so autistic. It makes us uncomfortable. They were, hey, you're autistic. Let's see if we can make this world a little easier for you to exist in. So even though my mom didn't see it in me, because again... Even as a physician, she saw a certain set of criteria in little white boys. And I am partly Latina on my mom's side, so we're actually one of the most underdiagnosed subset of people. So there were things they could have done. The It seems like she slapped every autistic trait that she could think of on Susan, and some of them were just – they were incongruent. I think the most damaging is that she had no personality – or connections to other people, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is so dehumanizing. There was so much of it that was dehumanizing. And things were bad back then, sure, but those portrayals, even today, it is currently legal to use a device that has nine times the electricity as a cattle prod to train autistic people in group homes for therapy wow oh my god it is a shock device put on legs i think the voltage is like only 10 uh i think it was watts lower than what is shown to be a potentially lethal level wow and portrayals that make us seem less than human feed Mm -hmm. into us being treated as less than human So this has currently been a really big deal because the FDA was trying to ban these devices pre COVID. There was a a pause put on it and a DC circuit court recently ruled that it wasn't the FDA's place and that the center, a group home, kind of like what they sent Susan to called the Judge Rotenberg Center could keep using it in a place where six people there have died. And it's mostly, it's mostly BIPOC autistic people being sent there for ABA therapy. So there were things that Susan did, like not wanting to stop playing piano, you know, stimming, which is her clicking mm-hmm. and self-stimulatory behavior, which mm-hmm. is, which everybody does, but it's really important for us as autistic people to help regulate. Those are things she would get shocked for at the center. Oh my God. So that's what I mean when having some representation is good, but sometimes it's more damaging than none at all so even in the 90s when there was stuff like occupational therapy to be like hey let's find a way to help your sensory issues be less severe let's find a way to help it be easier for you to exist in this world that's not made for you those existed back then they did it -hmm. was much less common but there were things Mm -hmm. that could be done so I I think the whole story would have to be changed to accepting that Susan was not damaged. Right. And mm-hmm. weirdly enough, I think Susan's parents and Christy were actually more damaging than the kids who were charging to go see her do her calendar trick. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Because because every single day there were things that they were doing that I was like, "Oh, well, this is what's going on with her. Why aren't they helping her?" Like the whole thing about how she'd cry instead of sleep and wail and pace back and mm-hmm. forth. Personally, that sounded like me when I'm in what they call the rumble phase before I have a meltdown. And mel- autistic meltdowns, the word meltdown gets sort of watered down to be like, oh, no, I'm freaking out. I'm a little overwhelmed. Oh, no. Or like mm-hmm. my kid had a tantrum or But a meltdown is not goal oriented. It is a neurological event that happens to us where we lose all control because we are so uncomfortable from sensory input or emotional input or like environmental stuff. There's too much going on that our brain is like, yikes, we need to do like a hard reboot and they can look violent. And like personally, I... I had one the other day, and I kicked the trash can in my art studio so bad, I can't close it. But Susan not sleeping, I was like, she's uncomfortable. She's having a sensory Mm -hmm. issue, and she can't sleep, and you all are talking about locking her in her room.
1: Like, she's doing something
2: Mm -hmm. wrong. So for me, the story would have to be changed. Like, maybe Christy's going, hey... Let's see what Susan, the secret of Susan is and try to figure out what's keeping her from being able to sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like the whole character of Susan would need to be – someone like you would need to give a lot of feedback to help make that character a real character and not just a combination of characteristics like which, like you said, don't typically – go together, they don't present in the same way, in the same person, because this was just sort of picking and choosing, like, oh, this is an autistic trait, this is an autistic trait, clearly this character can have all of them.
2: Yeah, and she, they made her a savant, which is one way that holistic people go, hey, they're autistic, but they can do this cool thing Mm -hmm. that I think is amusing, Mm -hmm. which it was probably on the, on the tales of Rain Man, which was really common in early 90s, autism representation Mm -hmm. stuff. Also, like, either she's not talking or she understands enough that she responds when her mom or someone else asks something or says something about the calendar stuff to me, Mm -hmm. to me that says Susan's understanding most, if not all of what you're saying to her and you haven't given her a way to communicate. So being speaking or non-speaking for autistic people also is one of the spectrums. So for me, if I've just had a meltdown, I'm sometimes what's called uh, semi-verbal. And I know what I want to say, but Mm -hmm. I cannot get my brain to tell my mouth to do it. So if I really need to, I expend so much energy getting those words out of my mouth that I could sleep for 12 hours after if I've had to force Mm -hmm. myself to try to talk when I'm semi-verbal. So for some autistic people, that's what they experience all the time. So there's augmented and assistive communication, which is a broad term for um, different programs you can use. Like a lot of uh, non-speaking autistic people use stuff on their iPad. Some people back then, like Christy noticed at the school meeting, there was a kid who had that pen to use on that little device to talk. Even sign language is really common. Like when I babysat, there were some kids who weren't speaking, but through sign language, I knew exactly what they needed. And the fact that they said, well, she doesn't understand anything or have any meaningful speech, I don't think that would be true for the rest of how they said things. So that part was probably the most disturbing that she probably had a lot. Mm -hmm. She probably Mm -hmm. had a lot to say, were she a real kid but they did not give her Mm -hmm. a means to do it at all. Yeah.
0: I think that dehumanization is the most disturbing Mm -hmm. part. And what's scary is how easy it is to miss that. If you're not looking for it, if you're not aware of it, if you're not open to that kind of introspection, like we were talking about, if you're just passively interacting with your media consumption, those messages can get embedded so quickly. I mean, think of all the shit that we got drilled into us in the 80s Mm -hmm. and 90s that we're we're just now learning to unpack. So I think that brings me to my biggest question overall, which is, what can we as holistic allies do to be better allies and, and to demand better representation and treatment? of those with neurodivergency of any kind, but especially people with autism or, uh, excuse me, autistic people, as you mentioned that identity first language.
2: So I think more than anything, it is normalizing autistic behavior. I think one thing that was really pervasive in the book was talking about how, oh, that was odd. She's doing these odd movements. She's doing this odd stuff, just very Mm -hmm. othering. But Nothing is, you know, quote unquote, normal, understanding autistic people and understanding and knowing, hey, my brain doesn't work the same way as yours. Let me see what I can do to help you as an individual the most. That's so helpful. So if someone needs to fidget, if someone needs to have noise canceling headphones on, if someone is using AAC to communicate, if someone's not making eye contact this for me, especially for parents, there's so much stuff I remember where it was like, look at me when I'm talking to you. Or something I've seen uh, more recently is parents like, Ooh, quiet hands, stop fidgeting, quiet hands, which is a term. But if I'm looking away and I'm fidgeting, I'm probably paying attention to you. So just normalizing the way we work. There's an autistic person I'm very close to who got a review at work recently that said, hey, you're doing great at your actual job. You're killing it. You're probably doing better than anyone else here. Here are a list of things that you do personally that we would like you to change, though, because we don't like the faces you make or don't make. Basically saying, your face isn't the right shape for me because you're autistic and we want you to mask.
0: Wow, that's crazy.
2: Yeah, so understanding that, you know, someone's tone, someone's facial expression, ask for clarity because it might not mean what you think it means as an holistic person. It's been shown in studies that autistic people, we understand neurotypical communication really well. Holistic, neurotypical in general. Mm -hmm. We have to study it so much that we understand it really well. Neurotypical people do not understand our communication and emotions and stuff because the effort has not had to have been made because they're the majority. Right. So I would say normalizing that you need to meet people in the middle, trying to understand how we work more. I, like, if someone's mad at me, I won't know they're mad at me unless they say, hey, you made me really mad the other day. And I'll be like, oh no, like, what, what, did, I, what did I do? Let's talk about it. I don't understand these strange icebreakers. Like, to me, it's like, I'm the weird one for being direct and y'all just want to leave little hints about things and I'm supposed to understand. (laughs) You literally go to therapy, like couples therapy to learn how to be direct with each other. Why am I weird? Yeah. Yeah, Like you pay people to teach you how to be like this. I come with it for free. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I think it's just learning how to communicate with us and understanding that the way we behave isn't abnormal. It's just different. It's biodiversity. Mm -hmm. It's how humans survive if we were all the same, we would not get we wouldn't get anything done. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think autistic people, we are so used to doing all the labor to understand and communicate and live in an holistic world that just asking and understanding how to meet us halfway, just meet us in the middle, takes such a burden off. When I've had to spend all day masking with people who are not making an effort, it is as exhausting to me as When I've gone to, when I went to Puerto Rico and I was speaking Spanish all day and I came back and I'm like, God, my brain's so tired from translating in my head all day. Mm -hmm. It's just as exhausting in my my native tongue of English to have to mask all day. So meeting us in the middle and asking, I think when I got my diagnosis, the best thing some of my closest relationships did with me was ask, you know, is there anything I do that has been disruptive and how can I be a better friend to you? Please tell me. Because no autistic person is the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's such an easy thing that all of us can do. You know, mm-hmm. what, what do you need from me? What can I do better to make this relationship, whatever it might be, whether it's work, rel- you know, platonic, romantic, whatever, like, I want to meet you halfway or so what do you need for me to do that? so that you're comfortable, you don't have to feel like you're masking all the time, or, you know, whatever else it might be. It's such an easy thing. And it's just a kind thing to do. So it's, it's just ridiculous that so many people just like, don't even think about trying to meet people halfway, like you said.
0: Yeah, it's baffling to me, because just imagine what the world would be like, if everybody treated everything that way. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with Ted Lasso. So and, and I teach emotional intelligence and communication skills and all of that for my in my real life, if you will. So the Walt Whitman quote that be curious, not judgmental, like that's all I could think about uh, that. That's all it takes Exactly. And to, to connect with other people. And it's any type of different people. There was a really interesting example that somebody gave, I was doing some uh, diversity training and inclusion training for myself. Because if I'm not learning, then you know, how can I be helping others? And they were talking to someone about physical disabilities. And this woman was in a wheelchair and she told the story. She said she was in the grocery store and, you know, a little kid came up and said, what happened to you? Why can't you use your legs? And their parent came over and, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You Why? You can't ask that. Blah, 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 blah. On and on and on. And she goes – the shame came from this parent mm-hmm. telling this kid there's something wrong with me there's something different about me you shouldn't shouldn't ask questions whereas this childlike just direct like you mentioned curiosity would have given me the opportunity to to just say my legs don't work because that's how my body is built like that there's nothing wrong with that and then the sense of shame that came from the parents so i think that's one thing that we can all really take away is like you said ask questions be curious be reminded yourself that everyone is an individual and has different wants and needs. And I mean, just thinking of Kate and I, I'm an extreme extrovert. She's more of an introvert. So there are definitely times where we have had to have those conversations mm-hmm. with each other, like about what our needs are and why can't we extend that same courtesy to, to others? It's just, yeah. when you put it that way, it seems like such an easy thing to do.
2: It is so simple. And I think having an understanding of how being autistic it is. It affects every fiber of how we experience and see the world. Mm-hmm. So little, those little things, asking and being curious about those little things, makes our lives so much easier. Just my sensory input, if someone wants to understand that. Like, I'm hyposensitive to touch, so I often don't know when I'm hurt, and I often don't know when I'm hungry, I rarely actually feel mm-hmm. hungry. I'm hypersensitive to visual input, but on the other hand, that makes me really good at art and I'm great with color and I'm great with all these other things. We have such our our senses, like literally our senses are different and the way they're they're calibrated is unique to every like autistic person, but it is just on like a cellular cellular level. So asking us how we can, how you can help us is just huge. It's huge. Love that.
1: Yeah, that was such a great answer. And like, like we've been saying, it's just such an easy thing. And I I hope that more people start doing that as you know, as we've talked about, things are hopefully getting better in the world. And hopefully, this will be part of everyone's growth. And I don't know, (laughs) betterness in the world. Yeah, that's all we can hope for, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And thank you so much for taking the time to come and share all of that with us today. Because, you know, as we're trying to do that work, like you said, to be more curious and, and ask the questions, but we also want to acknowledge the the generosity of of providing those answers and providing the emotional labor yeah. that comes along with, you know, being an advocate and being a teacher. So, you know, I want to really say thank you and, and let – Show our appreciation mm-hmm. for that because I know that can be a lot as well.
2: Yeah, I'm fortunately one of the autistic people who actually likes being social. I have to ration it out because sometimes it's like, oh no, it did too much of that. I'm exhausted. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think understanding that there is emotional labor that goes into it, and I I love doing this. Like this is a special interest to me. So I'm. Ha- thank you for having me on. I very much appreciate getting to. To talk about autism,
1: we're so so grateful that you joined us. And I don't know. I mean, we'll, we obviously we'll get into the wrap up and you know where where people can find you. But I don't know if there's anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to touch on real quick to make sure that we discuss it. If not, that's totally fine. I just wanted to throw that out there in case you had any other topics you wanted to bring up really quick.
2: I think if anyone listening is has identified with like any of the traits I've expressed that I have or any of the autistic sort of experience stuff that I've mentioned, please go look some stuff up. If you identify with any of that, autistic people have an average lifespan of 36. Wow. Largely due to suicide and Mm self-harm. Suicide is our second leading cause of death. And not knowing that your brain's just wired differently and you live in a world that is not designed for you and does it care to be designed for you at all makes you feel really broken so if you identified with any of this and like i got told for years i just had treatment resistant depression meds never worked it looks really bleak and it was just it was autistic burnout which is its own thing if you identify with any of that please go research because you are valuable. And understanding that there's nothing wrong with you is so freeing. So I really encourage anyone who really identified with absolutely any of this to go do some research. And I really recommend looking at embraceautism.com. All of the tests I took in my diagnosis process are on that site for free. And they have so many good resources. So if you are curious and you think, hey maybe maybe this is me please go look please 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 like understanding your neurodivergence can save your life
1: yeah i think that was the perfect (laughs) final statement (laughs) i'm glad that i remembered to ask that question because i think that that was that's such a a good thing for people to hear and i i love that you put that out for people that might be listening so thank you for that on top of thank you generally for joining us yeah no problem Okay, so Lauren, any uh, final club business before we wrap up? Well,
0: let's just let everybody know where to find the amazing Brienne. You mentioned your podcast
2: earlier. Where can we find you and your work on the internet? Yeah, so I am the writer and creator and a voice actor on the audio drama Today's Lucky Winner. Reddit has described it in many ways, but mm-hmm. uh, raunchy, chaotic, supernatural comedy buffy for stoners (laughs) i'm like loving all of this (laughs) so
1: subscribing immediately when we hang up
2: (laughs) yeah it's uh super super queer i voice the very horny pansexual grim reaper on the show oh my god that is amazing i I, like get into my ear holes right now you can find the show on twitter facebook and instagram at lucky winner show And then me personally, you can find me on Instagram at Brianne Leeson and on Twitter and TikTok if I ever actually use it. But Twitter and TikTok (laughs) is at Hot Sauce Ghost. So you can reach out to me, ask me questions. I'm, you know, I'm cooler on the Internet than I am on real life. So... (laughs) (laughs) I think that's true for us all these
1: yeah. days, right? <laughs> for sure.
2: Okay,
0: and you can find us at Generation BSC, pretty much all the socials, Instagram, Twitter. We do not have a TikTok. I love TikTok, but oh boy, creating one intimidates me. So if you're doing in that, power to you. Definitely. But if you want to email us with any of your thoughts on on this or anything else in the Babysitter's Club, particularly if you have, have additional thoughts and there are things that we have not brought into the conversation, please send them our way, generationbsc at gmail.com.
1: So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to
0: your friends.